How's everyone doing today? Good, good. See a lot of smiling faces. Ready to be educated? So, um, just a little quick background on me. Um, I was uh, the head reporter, also investigative reporter, did um, a lot of the work on business, science, and politics when it came to cannabis in, Cal in California. Um, moving on out here to try to educate the population on CBD and on cannabis um, and bringing our uh, new product line, uh, CBD Spa, out there, uh, natural beauty, beauty supply product. Um, so I'm going to go down the line and I'm going to have each one of you guys introduce yourselves. So we'll start off with Gene. Hi, I'm Gene Fine. I'm CEO of Third Joy Pharma, and we're an early operator in the CBD business. We started doing this about four years ago. Uh, I'm James Schwartz. I'm a nurse by trade. I own Cascade High Organics in Portland, Oregon. Uh, we're a tier two mixed cultivation uh, in Oregon, and also now bringing CBD products to the national market. Good morning, my name's Jim Ott. I'm the CEO of CFH Limited. We're a vertically integrated hemp genetics production, extraction, formulation, and consumer products company. Uh, we grew our first plants about four years ago. We're in Colorado and uh, have constantly continued to evolve. We're kind of the science guys. We've got a whole team of science. That's kind of what we've staked ourselves on. I come from that background, the biotechnology, and. Uh, Pharmaceutical and uh, plant science is most of my history, so we're kind of the science company if you want to look at us that way. We're the nerds. Good morning. My name is Keith Jones. I'm the general manager of Roland Farms. We farm in southern Alberta in Canada. Uh, we've been growing industrial hemp since 1998. We've grown it entirely for the food market up until this summer when thanks to the Cannabis Act and a special exemption by Health Canada, we harvested our first CBD material this year. Um, we, we grow between four and 6,000 acres of industrial hemp every year. So we're definitely the largest hemp farm in North America. We might be the biggest in the world, but there's some really big farms in China and there's some really big farms in Eastern Europe. So. Um, we're, we're learning though, we're learning here, we're pleased to be here and pleased to share some of our experience from the, from the food side of the hemp business. Thank you guys. So, uh, so this panel is traceability and how to achieve CBD standardization. Now just a quick uh, bio on this and you guys see us up there. Over the past year CBD has found its way into the hands of many, some of whom are experienced cannabis users and some of whom are novices at that regard it as a supplement or a health trend. However, standardization and testing of these products have not quite caught up in speed to its surge in use. Many of these difficulties have stemmed from differences in state-by-state -state regulations and policies which are quickly evolving over the span of months. National consensus guidelines must be adapted to establish consistency across protocols as the CBD current supply chain is far behind in establishing traceability from start to finish. Now, the first thing we're going to go over uh, from each of the panelists are just an, ex uh, just an example of what they see in traceability, just to give a little perspective. I have one myself. It's actually here at this expo. Um, not happy about this whatsoever. We were talking about this uh, um, when we were in the green room. So. One of these companies, I'm not going to call them out by name, but you'll see them when you, when you go over to their marketing. You walk in there, they're in the back corner, it says CBD, pure CBD, non-cannabis, non-hemp, what the hell is it? <laughs> so we went over and talked to them, they said, well, it's 
part of the orange peel. It's a terpene off the orange peel, which I don't know about you guys, and we, we really can't really get into the science of it, but how the hell do you say a terpene has the same constituent compounds and the same structure as a cannabinoid? Who knows? Um, they said that supposedly they created it a specific way, so it has the same molecular weight, it has the same molecular structure, but regardless, what you have is a product that is not CBD, and they're promoting it as CBD. Now, we've seen this before. We've seen it in Marinol, we've seen it in Spice and K2. They're supposedly supposed to be like cannabis, but they've killed people. It's not a product or a substance that's good for the community. Now, let's start off with Gene. Um, let's use you know, any type of uh, traceability or standardization um, issues that you've seen as an example to give some perspective. Sure, I ran into a company yesterday and uh, they had flyers out in the hallway and uh, they approached me and I said, uh, you know, we exchanged pleasantries and they handed me their price sheet uh, for their products and they said, would you like to buy some products from us? And I said, well, what kind of CBD do you use? Do you use isolate or oil? And they said, oh, we use oil. And I said, well, what's the percentage of CBD in your oil? And he said, I don't know. We're waiting for our COA. That's pretty crazy. Because if you don't know how much CBD is in your product and you're waiting for your testing to come back, you should not be trying to sell me CBD in the lobby of a expo. So that's kind of one of the things that we have to look out for and safeguard as an industry is that we are dealing with certified, properly tested product that is safe for people. And we have to do some self-policing as an industry right now because if we don't, industry could be dragged down by negative press generated by companies who supply horrible products to people with no intention except to try and make some money. James? Uh, so I would touch on two really prime examples. One is the current E. coli uh, on romaine lettuce and, and, and how quickly the health food industry can detect that there's a problem in the system and quickly trace it right back to the or original product. The, the same is true for, for cannabis or hemp or CBD or THC, it doesn't matter. Um, another prime example was when Colorado was first getting their market up. They didn't have testing standards even for uh, pesticides, molds, mildews, that kind of stuff. Then they found a load of 10 tons of cannabis that was loaded with pesticide chemicals. And they quickly realized we have to be able to test and track this product back. Uh, unfortunately, there's one company right now in, in the cannabis space that's really monopolizing the space. I think that we should be looking forward right now in the CBD world so that we can have other, other companies involved in that traceability. Right on. Jim? Well, it's interesting. I think the, I see a few faces in here that were in my presentation on whole traceability and standardization uh, from uh, the last hour. And, you know, I, I can go on and on about this. And it's one of those things where I go booth to booth and I ask a lot of questions like, do you know where this comes from? Is what was the source of your CBD? Do you know, was it single source? Did it come from one farm? Do you know what the farm is? Do you have a farm? do you manufacture, all those kind of questions, and I get a lot of blank stares. And, uh, you know, part of what I had shared in the presentation was that the American Medical Association did a study in, uh, that they published last November in the journal American, what's called the JAMA, 
They went out and bought 84 products from 31 companies online, tested them against what they said was on the label. 70% of them were not as they had stated. They were misrepresented. The WHO, the World Health Organization, did a similar study about early January of, seven, or of 18. The number rose to over 80% of the products were mislabeled. So, you know, that, those are, there's lots of examples in all of that. One specific one that happened last uh, week, there was a client that came to us, a customer that came to us from another company because they'd had some problems with quality and consistency and so on. And I asked him what happened, and he said there was, they'd run a, COA tested the products, their finished product that they were going to go to market with, and it had cough syrup in it. Not necessarily a good thing. Well, how does this happen? Well, how it happens is he did a third-party manufacturing process. They co-packs for every kind of product and ingredient that you can imagine. They didn't clean their lines out before they run the CBD, and now he gets cough syrup in his medicine. Right, or in his, uh, yeah, in his CBD medicine. He got a double dose there. Anyhow, it's, that kind of stuff goes on every day, all day long in this industry. And we as individuals, as customers or ingredient buyers or product manufacturers, it's our responsibility to ask these really hard-hitting questions from everybody that's out there exhibiting and everybody you run into where does this stuff come from? How is it manufactured? Do you have a farm? I get this. I, I have to have somebody go with me at these shows to keep me from clobbering somebody as they answer some of the stupidest answers I've ever heard in my life. So it's a fun process. Just go spend the next half hour or two running around asking them some questions. Do you have a farm? One of the answers yesterday was, oh yeah, we got 80,000 acres. Okay, well, where's that out? We got a big farm. It's 1,100. I don't know how you come up with 80,000. This guy may have them because he farms a lot. But it's th those kind of things immediately ought to be triggers like, okay, well, where's it located? Well, they're located all over. Well, what kind of answers are those to questions about a medicinal product you're trying to sell somebody? We got to hold those people more accountable, you know? Absolutely. And I think that's really where, um, you know, we're going to get to a little bit later on in this panel about how we can create a collaborative group to uh, try to regulate this body um, internally and not externally. Uh, so, Keith? Just a quick example from the food industry, again, um, selling organic hemp seed, which is what, why we've been growing hemp for the last 18 years. Um, we run into people who are buying organic hemp seed from overseas or from brokers. And, and they say, well, your price seems really high at $1.60 to $1.80 a pound, but we're organic certified. We have third-party inspection. Uh, we grow under license, so everything is actually uh, uh, highly regulated and controlled. When, we, when we've asked, well, where did you get your quote for the 45-cent organic hemp seed? that you're looking at buying. Well, we had somebody, a broker, offered us this product. Where did the product come from? <laughs> we don't know. Um, okay, so, so why don't you have a, at least run a test, run a COA on it, and understand if there's any heavy metal contamination, if there's any pesticide contamination. They ran a test on it, tested positive for cadmium and lead, and when they went back and did, did, tried to do the chain of testing, they found out it was actually Chinese hemp seed that was grown for bird seed 
that a broker in Turkey picked up <laughs> and, re and certified in Turkey oh. as organic, moved it into the North American food market. So that's in the food industry, which is already fairly well regulated on this. So this is a pathway that we're going to need to get comfortable with and up to speed on with standards, traceability, uh, custody track, track, transfer identification, full transparency to make sure that the people who are using the products we're trying to produce are getting good products that are safe, that are getting them the benefits they, they're paying for. Absolutely, absolutely. So, you know, I, I think we've pretty much explained why traceability and standardization is pretty important. Um, so I'm going to fly into this other question. So we have seen a, a massive surge in the CBD market over the past few years. However, like the massive surge in technological advancement, as most people talk about, our technology is far outpacing what we actually know what we can do, especially with AI. It's kind of the same thing with CBD where we don't really have a lot of regulations, we don't have a lot of policies. We now have the, hemp, the Farm Bill, 2018 Farm Bill. It's probably gonna go through within the next couple weeks, but there's really no regulations tied to it. It's just saying, hey, it's legal, it's free. Let's free roam it, let's make it an agricultural product, a food product, but there's really nothing there. So with you guys, I'm gonna go down the line. Um, Jim, with your knowledge of the agricultural industry, how do you see the U.S. catching up to the handle, uh, to get a handle on the properly standardizing the CBD industry? From your experience, are there any aspects of the agricultural industry that we can parallel for this one? Well, I think there's a lot of models out there. You know, for the most part, whether you're raising a commodity crop or you're uh, raising a fruit crop or you're raising a vegetable crop, there's certain food safety standards that have to be employed for as you get it into the processing stage. At the uh, commodity level, there's certain that the associations or the U.S. Soybean Council, as an example, is kind of the overriding commodity uh, entity that looks at safety, looks at standards, looks at grading qualities of those commodities as they come through the system to that point that they go to the elevator to be processed. Once they're processed into soybean meal or soybean oil or, or any of the other compounds that are made from soybeans or from any of the commodities, then the FDA requires food safety standards that go with every one of those steps in the process. So whether you're extracting it, whether you're taking the ingredients and you're making a food out of it, all of those standards exist already in agriculture. It's not like we have to reinvent this wheel in terms of how it's done. All of those systems are in place already for almost every food ingredient that we buy. Right. So, follow up on that. Um, since we know hemp itself is a phytoremediator, it sucks up a lot of the pesticides, a lot of um, the pollutants in the soil, as we've seen it with you know them helping with Chernobyl and a lot of other different areas. Should there be extra regulations? than just what we see in the agricultural products. Because we see a lot of pesticides on food grade products right now. Um, even on grapes, you see um, uh, Eagle 20 that they can still use on grapes that we use for wine. So all you wine lovers, there's a lot of Eagle 20 in your product. Um, but is, should there be anything uh, extra that we should be adding on to that? Well, I think that has to, it kind of goes back to the, uh, the consumer, really. I mean, I don't, none of the, each, each industry, whether you're the grape industry association or the soybean industry association or the corn u.s corn growers association 
each of them have an agenda to help support the industry that they're involved in. So if pesticides of Eagle 20 is good for grapes, for grape producers, then Eagle 20 is going to be used on grapes. So it's kind of a, there's a little bit of self-interest that goes along with all that. And part of what we may have to do in this industry, because the plan is quite different, it's, there isn't, you can't, you can put corn and ground on pesticides year after year after year, and soybeans and rice and cotton and all those kind of commodities, and you're not going to have to worry about it ended up in your mouth, right? Hemp and cannabis is a completely different thing. It's a bioremediator. It picks up everything. It picks up the heavy metals. It picks up the pesticides. It picks up all of those kind of things. So it may, the industry may have to organize to a point where at least the pesticide piece of it and the heavy metal testing is part of what has to happen and maybe even at the biomass or the flower level before it ever gets extracted to know that, yeah, that's something that's not the Chinese <laughs> product <laughs> that you were talking about. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, Gene, so from your travels around the globe, you know, you, your massive uh, area of expertise in the music industry, um, producing industry, um, what are some parallels that you see that can help with traceability and standardization with CBD? Well, I think one thing that we can do is we can set up a certifying body as an industry. And, uh, you know, I'd like to thank everyone in this room for coming, first of all, because it means that you care about this issue. And uh, it's very important for us as an industry to police ourselves and to have a centralized body that's not controlled by one entity, but controlled by, um, let's say, 20 participants that cycle out over a three-year period, similar to what the RIAA does in the music industry. And what the RIAA does there is police legal issues for the industry and also certify you know, when a record sells a certain amount, it, they certify it gold or platinum. We need a certifying body um, for not just for product, but also for transactions. If you've been in the CBD business for about three seconds, then you've probably been contacted by a broker who wants to sell you a thousand kilos of CBD. And that scam that goes around the industry needs to be cut out and it needs to be uh, focused under a, a uh, certification system so that transactions of uh, large quantities of CBD can be tracked and verified so that we know legitimate product is coming into the system, that it exists, that people aren't getting ripped off. And we need to kind of eliminate this, these few thousand scam brokers that are out there uh, trying to do business right now. And something like a certification body would help do that. Okay, let me throw this out to you guys. Um, and anybody can answer this. Uh, I know we were talking about this in the back. So, like a third-party company with a lot of product lines, uh, uh, underwriters, what is it? Um, underwriters laboratory, Laboratories, uh, UL. You see the UL mark on a lot of different products. It's a third-party company that doesn't have any ties to any specific industry, but it's kind of the regulating essence of standardization in a lot of these products. So... Would that be an ideological um, type of standard that we should have instead of just a certifying body that's within the industry, but also one that's a third party outside of the industry? Uh, we have, in the cannabis arena, we have both. Mm -hmm. So in Oregon, obviously you can't certify cannabis as a organic product because it's still federally, federally illegal. But we have 
organizations within our state practice. So we have Dragonfly Earth Medicine, which is a certification for organics. We have Clean Green Certification, which is a third party certifier. Um, but then we also have uh, coalitions of organic farmers who are holding each other to those, to those practice standards because the only person who really is going to walk onto a farm other than maybe a serious regulator, inspector who's gone through farms are going to be other farmers. You're, you're going to know exactly what you're seeing around that farm and, and whether or not they're, they're being true to their practices. And even for example, green clean or clean green certification, they come and check your soil once a year. So you could, for your inspection, if you wanted to, 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 to escape the law, but so we both need an outside regulatory body. So in Oregon, it's the OLCC who looks at uh, your products, but it's the ODA who regulates what can be used on your products. So yes, I think inside the organization as well as third party. Okay, does anyone else have a, anything they want to say on that? I, I think it's going to happen that way anyway, even if, uh, because of the sort of the the uh, natural evolution of where this industry is headed, with the farm bill passing, Jim was talking about it before when we were in the green room. That uh, you know USDA will get involved, FDA will get involved. Those will be certifying bodies. But I think as an industry, we also need something that is unto us uh, that understands sort of the the use of the product, understands the transactions which take place, and also understands the uh, potentially tracking sales volumes of, of products that are CBD related also. Jim? Well, one of the, one of the things that's happening, at least with us, we, you know, we tout ourselves as the science guys, and we don't necessarily have a huge branding uh, approach or consumer product approach. We're more a private label company and an ingredients company. So we're kind of the science behind your brand approach. So part of what we are running into is a lot of the food companies and some more sophisticated pharmaceutical companies, nutraceutical companies are coming to us and saying, hey, listen, we don't understand this plant. We don't understand a lot of the processes. Can you bring your science and tie it to our science? And they are asking some other, some significant kind of questions about what hurdles we would have to jump through to meet their requirements to sell them products. Is it GMP certified? What ISO certifications do you have? Tell me about your processes for uh, formulation and for extraction and show me the documentation. So what we've done is gone back and said every ingredient that we have, we've got a file of information on where it was grown, what strain it was, when it was planted, what fertility went on it, when it was harvested, etc., etc., all the way back to the ground level. And then when we put MCT oil in a product or any other kind of ingredient, we're holding those suppliers to the same kind of standards to provide that documentation to us because that's what the nutraceutical industry and that's what the pharmaceutical industry companies and the big manufacturing companies are saying you have to do to sell to us. So I think there's kind of a piece of it that may actually be market driven that will force this industry to some standards that the industry itself doesn't necessarily know how to do. So mm -hmm. whether it's as 
third-party certification that's separate specifically for hemp and CBD, or it's probably both, where the industry, demand industry of the more sophisticated companies force us to do that, and certification gives us the credibility that they're looking for to be able to sell to them too, so. And before you hop on, Keith, there's, so in 2016, there was, uh, there was a, um, some documents that were, new documents that were drafted by the FDA for general standards of, of uh, structure for any type of food grade products, agricultural products. Um, when this passes through the Farm Bill in 2018, make sure you guys are complying to those because they're going to go directly to that to make sure that your standards are there for your CBD products. So I'm not sure exactly what the name of that is. Uh, do you know? No, I don't. But what I was going to say is uh, just a word to the wise out in, out in the audience. When you are buying CBD and you ask for a, a COA certificate of analysis, don't just look at the numbers that are on that COA. You have to also look at the date when that COA was originated and make sure that it matches up. And don't be afraid to call the testing lab and verify it. Because if you're looking at the COA and and the numbers are great, but the COA is from last year, then the chances are you're not getting the same product that it corresponds to that COA from that supplier. So study your COAs, and don't be afraid to call the lab to verify. Absolutely. So Keith, what were you going to say? Uh, just to, to share the, some of the Canadian experience and how it might translate, we're over-regulated in Canada. <laughs> You, you guys are probably under-regulated, and so we're really jealous about that sometimes. <laughs> but some of the, um, uh, the third-party validation and verification that comes out of regulation is really helpful. And right now, for example, we can't provide any of our CBD material as a hemp farmer in Canada to anybody other than a registered, licensed practitioner in the medical marijuana space in Canada. That's it. That means, though, that we also have to comply with good manufacturing practice, with a set of certifications that are, that are under development now, but were born from the medical marijuana industry, so have some linkages to requirements for consistent testing, for certificates of analysis. Um, every, every lot of material we provided this year to our LP customers had to be tested for pesticides, had to be tested for microbials, had to be tested for heavy metals. And as Jim shared in the last section, that ain't cheap. That's 500 bucks a lot for testing. Um, now, what that's gonna do is build some confidence that those particular products are going to meet an end user quality requirement. Um, one of the things that has been very new in the Canadian context is up until up until August, hemp farmers couldn't provide this material to medical marijuana facilities. And so the regulators, in trying to understand how to regulate it properly, um, reached out to the hemp farmers and said, what makes sense? So our industry association, the Canadian Hemp Trade Alliance, actually advised the regulators on what might be reasonable standards as you went from an agricultural production into a food, pharma, and natural health products production. And so by working with the regulators, yeah, there are industry standards, but it's more industry guidance 
on government regulation that's helping us navigate a pathway. Um, today, there is no CBD market in Canada other than through a licensed dispensary. So what you see in the room next door, you cannot see in Canada today. It isn't legal today. It probably will be within 12 months. But Canada started from over-regulating, starting hyper-safe, and that's built in some standards, specifications, certifications, that down the road we see things developing like a, an industry-based seal of approval or specifications. Uh, for now, the regulation is helping us try to figure out what that pathway is. And I think we see that with um, the edibles industry in California. They, they over-regulated that process and kind of um, constricted the entire market. You don't see a lot of actual legal edible products out there that haven't met the guidelines. Um, and I think they're, they're shooting it because they really don't understand how to dose properly for edibles. Um, and until they figure that out, I think it's going to constrict that type of market. Um, so just so everyone knows in, in, in here, I, I was allotted an extra 30 minutes for this panel. So I'm going to take all of it. Um, <laughs> So we probably will be here for a little bit, unless you guys don't want to stay. I, I think we got a lot of great questions here. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hop on to uh, one of the things you guys are talking about. So with the OLLCC, that, that's a great governing body, uh, but just for the state of Oregon. Now, should we do a state-by-state -state measure where each state is governing themselves, or should we have a national measure that we can actually append to or something that we can go with? So a couple of things in that as we unpack that. So. Initially, right now, in the cannabis space, we're being forced into these state markets, which is ultimately bad for the industry as a whole. We're overbuilding our production side, but those are cannabis issues. There should absolutely be a national uh, organization because in CBD, you're getting product from hemp from just about everywhere in the world. <coughs> and you really don't have anybody who's going to be in charge of knowing where that stuff is coming from unless you have a, a, a USDA or an FDA, somebody who's a part of, of regulating that. And I wanted to get back, we skipped over the, the one organics question, and I just wanted to touch on that a little bit because, you know, for those of you who don't quite understand, bioremediation means it's pulling all of the toxic chemicals out of the environment that it's around including right now they're using it at Fukushima to clean radiation out of the soil uh, in Japan. So there can be any number of harmful substances in hemp and so traceability is going to be just as critical as it is for something like cannabis and, and where we want to know, okay, did someone treat their products with Eagle 20 or some really harmful chemical pesticide that in food, it's important in and of itself, but you're digesting in the stomach. A lot of CBD is going to be inhalation tinctures that go directly into your bloodstream. And so any contaminants that are on those products are going right into the body. They're not even being digested and some excreted out through the GI tract. So. Yeah, yeah. I just wanted to point out that sometimes it's not even nefarious when somebody plants something and it comes back tainted. It doesn't even have to be something that they used on the plant. It can be something that existed in the soil for decades that they had no idea about, but maybe they didn't test their soil before they planted. 
And some of yeah. that could just be heavy metals from the type of soil that you're in. And, and, and farmers aren't ultimately uh, choosing to, to, to make bad decisions. But, you know, these are medical grade products that we're talking about. When we can separate out the greed of the people who don't give a shit about what they're putting in their CBD or how they're, you know, totally adding all kinds of carriers that they know are not certified products or whatever. The next thing is, is the cartridges. And I, I as, as a healthcare person, I, I get on this a lot because people think those vape cartridges are healthy. There are a few healthy cartridges on the market, but you can't buy a cartridge that's not made in China. And so they're using poor quality metals as coils. They're using cotton wicks that are laden with carcinogenic chemicals. I'm diverting a little bit from the topic, and I apologize. No, it's not a problem. Um, and to, you're, you're vaporizing those, and you're getting heavy metals. It, so it, don't think just because you've chosen a vape cartridge that it's a healthy. And also with vape, uh, just so you know, that anytime you use vape that has PG or VG in it, research has shown that it starts to degrade esophageal tissue from the very first time you use it. And that's one of the primary components for uh, popcorn lung um, that isn't really curable um, that we've seen yet. And, and also just pointing out on that, um, you know, with some of these products, uh, just to give a little clarity, like for example, we are talking about Eagle 20, Michael Butanol is the uh, biggest component of the pesticide in it. When you light that on fire, when you combust it, it becomes a gaseous cyanide. So just to put clarity on that, those are some pretty bad chemicals that you're putting in your body that we are not regulating or governing at the moment. So, oh, so let me just, sorry, finish up because you did kind of specifically ask about the OLCC. Uh, so <laughs> one of the things that is in the cannabis space that we absolutely are probably going to move to, I'm guessing, in the hemp CBD space too, is all of our product is tracked through a system called Metric, Marijuana Enforcement Regulatory Tracking. It's software that allows the regulatory body to know exactly how many plants I have in my garden, what stage those plants are in, what state, what you know, plant material I have that's in my drying room, what do I have packaged in my safe. So there are, there is already a clear pathway to how we can regulate this plant, and maybe we don't need quite the in uh, the incredulousness that we have with with cannabis because hemp we're talking about much larger volumes usually um, but it is important that I know where that farm came from which is what Jim and Keith and Gene all mentioned there's one question I ask when I'm in looking for a cannabis product where did this thing come from because that's gonna tell me everything I need to know about that product absolutely um, and for everyone else, like metric is basically standardization, track and trace um, that you see in a lot of other uh, states that they've that they've gone through um, with legalization of cannabis. Um, so, hopping on that question with trying to figure out these regulating bodies, how they're going to go through, should we restrict these CBD products from hemp to just the U.S. Or should we still allow products from China, from Canada, or from other places um, while we're trying to figure out what we're doing here for a standardization purpose? I think it's very important that hemp is a global market and that CBD is a global market. Uh, so I think it's very, very important that we do allow products in and that there is reciprocity where we can send our products to other countries um, because the global market is important to everybody in this room. 
and we don't want to be isolationist. We want to be able to do business across the globe, and we need certifications from uh, incoming products. We need to make sure that those products are pure and healthy for people. But uh, it's extremely important in my mind that this is a global market and an open market. Shouldn't we test those products, at least on the entry into Absolutely. the country? Oh, yeah, yeah, I was saying that. that oh, we, okay. have to, yeah. we have to make sure they're tested and good for people yep. before they come in. But and I to, think here rather than at the point of origin, right? Cause definitely here. Yeah. I mean, they'll be tested, I imagine, at the point of origin also. But we have to verify as they're making it into the country <laughs> right. that, that they test out. And there has to be a mechanism to be able to send it back. Especially as like the China example that Keith was talking about. <laughs> yes. And just a little history lesson. So hemp was one of our major products as colonies when we were coming into the new world. Um, we were the biggest exporters of hemp, uh, which is probably why Mitch McConnell was so excited to bring this bill forth because this was a big market for his state um, a long time ago. Kentucky. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, we, we've been around this for centuries we've been around this product especially in America so bringing this back in will definitely help our ecological standards and also our economic standards our, our flag our original flag that Betsy Ross made is from hemp Constitution uh, just about Declaration of Independence even uh, um, Washington was talking about having and making sure everyone had at least 20 acres even in um, historical standards when you were supposed to be uh, a voter you had to have at least 20 acres of hemp farmland owned to be a legitimate voter um, back in the day when they were first uh, putting America together. So cool little tidbits. But um, so one point per panelist on this, what should the nation focus on to help streamline CBD traceability and standardization? I know we kind of hinted on this on a couple other questions, but any specific points? Keith, you want to go first? Sure, and I'm and I'm going to look at this from a more global perspective than than just a U.S. perspective. One of the things that I think has created a lot of confusion in the marketplace, generally around cannabis, is a lot of confusion around and hemp around terminology, around testing standards, methods, etc. Uh, about two and a half years ago, ASTM uh, started a D37 Cannabis Committee to start to establish standards and working groups on te test methods. One of the working groups is actually on nomenclature. So when you say hemp, what do you mean? What, how is hemp defined? When you say uh, cannabinoid content and, and on a milligram dosage basis, what are you talking about? What is the nomenclature for that? So this, um, this is, uh, really interesting because ASTM is the organization in the 18 was created in the 1880s to actually help the railways come up with a standard for rail lines so when a train passed from one state to another it didn't go from one gauge of rail to another gauge of rail so uh, they they do have a lot of credibility in testing methods most of the labs now are using methods and mechanisms that are ASTM standards approved. So we see, a, uh, we see even from the Canadian content, uh, context, an opportunity to contribute to some global standards through participation in the ASTM D37 Cannabis Committee. 
Um, their next meeting's in Houston in the end of January, and anybody who's interested in contributing to the development of standards for cannabis and hemp um, should check out the ASTMD 37 committee. ASTM D37 Cannabis. And if you do a search, Google search on that, it'll take you right to the work of that standards committee. Yeah, their next committee meeting is coming up in Houston. I think it's January 25th to 27th, but I might have the dates a little bit off. But. Jim? Well, I'm not sure it's the nation's responsibility at all, frankly. Okay. I, think, uh, I think that has to be the onus of the industry itself. I think it starts with each individual company setting standards and having integrity and having a mission to help people with get this product out so that they can have the health benefits that it has. I, you know, we just sit around and say, you know, we need some body that's going to take care of all this or we're going to put it on the uh, government to do these kind of things. I think the less involvement we can have, I mean, Keith was talking about some of how well that happens in Canada. Others, other countries are far worse. So that's, that's my two cents. I think we as individuals in the industry have to take a leadership role in establishing those standards within our own companies. And if we're a consumer of this, asking those kind of questions that will get you to the bottom of how these people are doing their business. And, and I think that and the fact that as this industry has evolved, and I mentioned this earlier, some of the more sophisticated companies that are coming into this industry are going to force that to happen. So between that and, and our, ourselves, I think we're in a good position to evolve past this kind of immature startup stage in an industry and really be something significant that can change our entire medical system. And that's what we're committed to anyway. So I'm, you know, I'm, a, I'm a free markets guy. So anytime uh, we've got superimposed regulations, it ends up usually costing us in quality mm -hmm. and costing us in expense. So if we can do that individually or as an industry, as individual companies, the competition is the best quality control that you can ever bring to an industry, right? Absolutely, and, and as we know, the government's lazy and they don't like doing a lot of things. Um, you know, so if they have to do it, it's gonna take a long time. We're not sure how it's gonna land. So if we try to move this body ourselves and push the envelope and say, here's what we have, here's our standardization, and it's something that will not catch them off guard or get them any liability issues, they're probably just gonna append that. And there have been many cases um, in many different industries where there has been a set standard and the government just went with it because it was something that actually worked and they didn't have to deal with it. So I, I love the concept of the industry policing itself. I know for a fact that that doesn't matter for shit. And we've seen companies in the upper echelons of biopharma who have taken advantage of that system to the point where we mentioned Bayer and Monsanto in the back. Uh, that's just one of many. And so while I want to believe the best for our industry, as someone who comes from healthcare, I've seen us create problems. The opiate addiction that the country's facing that can be treated with CBD and, and, and THC compounds, we need to be on that. But as, as, as a country as a whole, 
when we're going to talk about a standardization program, there are lots of examples that we can use that are already currently in place. So, for example, Metric is the tracking software that's in about five of the states already. So, if we have, and this is similar to the setup we have in Oregon, that USDA or, or ODA tracks all of the hemp. And then there's this bridge system where hemp can enter, enter the cannabis system after it's been tested and, and, and tracked and given its proper ID. Then we have OHA, the Oregon Health Authority, kind of guiding the medical principles of the CBD products on that side. And then we have the OLCC strictly regulating the cannabis side. There are very similar federal models that we can tap right into. As we mentioned, the USDA could be tracking those plants as it enters a, 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 a collection point where, you know, which in, in cannabis or most harvest spaces, it's kind of after that harvest, you're bringing all this product in. Where is it going? It'd be great to have some sort of a centralized collection point for the data, immediately get it tag for it, 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 where it's, what farm that it's come from. And then from that point, now you've got that tracking system in place. And so if we want to say then the FDA or, or, or some other nutraceuticals regulatory authority is, is, is on that side of things, I think that's where we can start to track these medical products because it's clear. These are, you know, we have an endocannabinoid system for a reason. We have phytocannabinoids that we need to be ingesting from the outside world. And whether that's in a juice or a CBD tincture or we need these products in our bodies. So we just have to figure out how to get them safely to the people that want to use them because they need to be safe. Absolutely. I think well, another, just one, do one, one I, quick I, thing if I can object on that. The, uh, just so everybody understands, the Farm Bill is going to make hemp and CBD an agricultural product. The USDA does not tag every corn plant that's grown on 90 million acres in the U.S. every year. Hemp is going to go that same way. So that whole trekking metric kind of cannabis approach is a cottage industry kind of approach. It's not a significant agricultural industry approach. So I'm not sure that's, that's actually a viable approach to this. I certainly agree with some sort of certification and standards for health and safety that have to be employed. Well, in hemp, I don't think you need to tag every plant, right? If, it, if you tag it from the time it leaves that farm, you can at least say, okay, this got harvested on this date from this farm. No, I, agree I don't with care that. if there was 50,000 plants or five. I, I completely agree. Awesome. And then okay. I think the other part of this is let's do a, let's do a complete provenance. So okay, we're testing it, let's say at the point of harvest, let's do something like the music industry does and have a sound scan type of entity so that there's a barcoding system and we can see what products are being sold and that can be traced all the way back to provenance when they're sold. Yeah. And we can also track um, you know, top products in the industry so that people can look at that and realize, okay, a lot of people are using this product and it'll help educate the consumer and help give them a chance to figure out what may be working for them. Uh, obviously, there'll be reviews that'll be tagged to those products too. And it'll just uh, formalize things in a way that'll be more helpful uh, to people and to the industry, I think. Awesome, so I got 
uh, one question for each of the panelists, and then we're going to go into questions. Um, just make sure you got, got some time for you guys. So just the, just the last two questions here, and I'll bring it out to the floor. Um, so Gene and Keith, uh, what are, just quickly, what are the top priorities of research and uh, development for hemp and CBD that we should be looking at? Well, I think uh, in terms of CBD, it's, uh, there, there's two things that are right out, come to mind right off the top of my head. One is uh, to help solve the opioid crisis, which James touched on. And the other is uh, CBD is incredible for pain. And, uh, you know, it, it's just a matter of how are we going to go about this. Um, you know, you have companies like GW Pharma patenting uh, epilepsy, epileptic uh, drugs and other drugs now for Dravet's syndrome, et cetera. Um, so it's a question of are there, are there going to be more efforts like GW? And the answer is yes, they are underway now. And, and there is huge research money going into it now, especially overseas. Um, but I would say that as an industry, you know, CBD is exceptionally uh, effective for pain. And so we need to be able to quantify that with research and put that out there for people. Uh, and I, I think that's an extremely important thing uh, that we do as an industry is substantiate the fact that CBD is excellent uh, as a treatment for pain. Keith? Just, I think there's a uh, the entire value chain because we haven't got to do the work we need to do on these compounds because of the prohibitions associated with cannabis and hemp um, we have an incredible amount of research work to do um, that the efficacy and it starts are we getting the products that are actually helping people and and providing the kinds of interventions and assistance that are required that has to be the first priority I believe in research but extending right back across the value chain, there's a whole bunch of work to do. There's a lot of work to do in the genetics of the plants and the species we're growing. There's a lot of work to do in cultivation, harvest, storage practices, um, proper handling of the materials prior to extraction. They're just a, an incredible wealth of experience. And that's something we're, we're focusing on because we're growing these crops, we're harvesting these crops, we have to store them until we move them to an extractor and make these great CBD products. And, and there's a whole series of other research priorities. And extraction itself is completely unregulated right now. There's no standardization for cleaning machines. There's, there's nothing basically out there right now. And that needs to be drastically improved for our industry. Even testing regulations, like even testing is not really regulated that much. It's a state-by-state -state basis, really. And, and uh, you know, people shop all the time for different results. Um, so last question for Jim and James. So how do you guys see the standardization and traceability for CBD panning out in the next five years? You know, we talked a lot about hypotheticals and what could possibly be. What do you actually see happening? And does it seem feasible in this political and social climate? Uh, so I'm going to touch on just a few things real quick. So that pharma number in the states that had medical cannabis, pharmaceutical companies lost $186 million in revenue. That just touching on the opiate crisis and how we can be treating that. So the other thing is to organics and traceability, glyphosate, which was in 2015, prohibited in European products was allowed twice the concentration here in the United States at the same time. 
So we can't necessarily rely on industry people, regulatory people, we have to collectively do it. And so I think that that starts with, we have systems in place already in agricultural products, whether it be tobacco, tomatoes, there are base level kind of traceability programs. We just have to add in that piece that brings a, a new farmer to that collective. Uh, we need to then figure out who, who do we want to regulate that product on the other side? Is it going to be part of ATF? Is it going to be part of FDA? Is it going to, you know, so I think that there's things that we have to work out. I do see us getting to a system. There's a few reasons why. I mean, John Boehner, the former Speaker of the House, who has really solid Republican credentials, is now on the board of Acreage Holdings. He's doing a webinar, for those of you who don't know, on investing in, in the cannabis space online and a week or two, I think. Um, Mitch McConnell is for a farm bill, which obviously includes hemp agriculture. Many Republicans uh, who are coming from cannabis states now are supporting the program. So we're going to see federal movement. I think all of the signs from uh, Trump's Department of Health to to uh, the, the alcohol industry is starting to show promise because they've started to recognize that this is a cat you can't put back in the box. Um, with all that said, we have to trace these products. There should, there should be a base level standardization for any product that we're going to call a nutraceutical type, type of product. That's all there is to it. Yeah, and Anchorage just did a major investment. Like, what was it, like a, a billion dollar investment or something? Um, it was a California company, I think, right? Yeah, $1.6 billion, so keep on track for Acres Holdings. They're, they're trying to take over a lot of things. Uh, Jim, did you have any extra things? Well, it's just the kind of, the same, over the next five years, I mean, the industry's gonna change significantly. The companies that are sitting on the sidelines waiting for the clarity around CBD to be descheduled or whether being scheduled or descheduled, with it being descheduled and becoming a, a food ingredient, we sponsor the CBD West uh, or CBD uh, Supply Side West Expo in Vegas about four weeks ago. There were 400 of these industry companies paid 400 bucks a piece to set in in this workshop to understand how do we get involved in CBD. Those companies are going to demand the same kind of standards that we have for all other food ingredients and it's this thing is going to change significantly if you're in the business today just get prepared get your documentation figure out how to put traceability into your own company and you'll be in a position to participate in that this industry the number of people and the, i will guarantee you you come back here in two years from now the number of people the number of companies that are here today that will be back again two years from now will be very small yeah Basically, moral of this moral of this panel: just be proactive. Do your due diligence right now. Don't wait until something happens. I mean, if you want to take a model, take California model when they when they put through Prop 64 into SB 94, people got screwed because they just waited for this to happen. They didn't do any traceability, didn't do any standardization, and now a lot of them are getting sucked out of the market or getting bought up. Um, so, we're done with questions here for the uh, for the panel. Does anybody have any questions? You want to come on up? Hi, I grew up in the South, and you just mentioned glyphosate, and I want to bring up the elephant in the room, and that is um, Southern hemp farming practices. 
I have a question about um, hemp being grown from Kentucky down because of the soil quality. Um, I'm not familiar with the rest of the United States. I didn't grow up there, but I grew up in Georgia. I understand they're going to start f uh, farming hemp on pine tree land, which I used to own pine tree land. That stuff's nasty. Um, and then also that same question leads into is, a, is it a better practice to do an indoor uh, because you can control the soil or outdoor? I mean, what are your thoughts on that and what are we going to do about southern hemp in the United States? Because I think it's problematic already. Thank you. Well, indoor is uh, much more controllable, but it's not feasible as a industry because the cost structure is too, too way too expensive. Um, so we'll have to produce the major crops outdoors. Um, I'm not familiar with uh, the uh, soil conditions in in the South and in Georgia. The situation that you talked about, you. You gentlemen might know more about that than I do. It's, I mean, it's no different there than it is anywhere else. You know, we've had 50 years of pesticides put on commodity farms. It's evolved over time where conventional tillage methods have disappeared and chemical applications are the standard. It's a no-till kind of application. You don't do any primary tillage to change the soil up like it used to be 20, 30 years ago, 40 years ago. It's just a constant barrage of different pesticides to control various pests so I don't think across if you go across the corn belt and the soybean belt to the Midwest there's probably more concentration of pesticides in the soil there than there are in the south frankly I do know that also when you go down into the Caribbean region uh, and South America Central America it's even worse in many places because uh, one of the things that our pesticide companies here uh, would do is that once something is banned in the U.S., they look for the next market to dump what they have. And uh, that results in some really nasty soils in those regions. Uh, so, oh my God, I just totally lost my train of thought. Oh, you know what? Um, oh, wait. Let me just say something. I'll give you an example. I was in the Dominican Republic and I was very excited because I was testing some soil and the pH came out at 7.6 and I thought this is fantastic. And then I picked up the soil and I rubbed it on the inside of my arms because I wanted just to see, you know, what it would be like because the soil when I touched it didn't feel uh, right to me. I've been around farms since I was a kid because my aunt and uncle owned a potato farm up in Maine. And uh, so I rubbed it on the insides of my arms in, in about 60 seconds, I started getting real itchy and I had these huge rashes that started running up my arms. Uh, and that soil was uh, incredibly contaminated when we had it tested. So beware. So to your question, um, I, I, it's an agricultural product that we're almost going to certainly have to farm outdoors. As we mentioned, the cost structure, we are we have put in a light assist, light depth greenhouse, which for us in the cannabis space has been remarkable in terms of its its cost effectiveness. Um, it still costs us about 500 bucks to produce a pound, and right now the economics in Oregon are I'm selling that pound for 500 dollars, so I'm not even making money, um, but. In hemp biomass, you're purchasing anywhere from $10 a pound up to, you know, maybe 
uh, a few dollars if it's super high quality um, in terms of a couple hundred. Uh, so the cost structure is going to, to have to be an outdoor product. You also touched on the meaning of why those, those organics are so important. Soils that can have anything in them and this plant is going to especially suck it up. And so you should do some sort of controlled soil or at least be very aware of what's in your soil. And, it, and even when you look at organic production, so it takes takes three years to have land certified for standard organic production. If that land had been farmed conventionally, very intensively, it may still not be suitable for organic hemp production because hemp is such a great bioaccumulator. Um, we, we've found, we've had lots of some of our crop that we've had to park and put aside that will not be able to go into the CBD supply chain because we had an aerial applicator spraying a fungicide a kilometer away that drifted onto our soil two years before. And so that fungicide came up and the COA tested positive. And, and again, we've been farming organically since 1984. Mm. So uh, organic is part of the solution. It's not the only solution though, uh, given how great a cannabis plant, whether it's a hemp plant or a high THC plant, um, is at bioremediation and bioaccumulation. And it depends on its use, right? I mean, you could make paper and ropes and, and, and bricks and everything else out of stuff that we contaminate. Yeah, and regarding the, the whole organic thing, it's another one of those things like you got you to really dig deep into what does that mean? Because in this industry, there's no organic certification. The USDA will not uh, certify hemp or CBD products through the NOP program. And so what you have in the food industry, and this is, this is one of the things we're going to have to contend with as we go forward and becomes a food ingredient, the amount of crop acres in the U.S., that have become organic in the last 15 years has not changed. Same number of acres for the last 15 years. Anybody know what the products on the shelves of the grocery stores that are claiming organic are? Almost 50%. Now where did it all come from? Right, so that's not a whole lot different than we're seeing here in the, in the uh, CBD space is everything's organic now. And the other thing is regarding organic is that organic from outside this country frequently gets certified by an entity called BioAgriCert that is loose, very, very loose. So most of the stuff that gets certified by BioAgriCert, I'd take a pretty hard look at because I know for a fact that BioAgriCert certifies things that are in fact not organic sometimes. Yeah, and I was talking to, uh, uh, I was listening to John McKay and his talk yesterday. Um, you were talking about pine trees when they were growing next to it. Um, they're saying a really synergistic uh, tree to actually grow with are pears. Pear trees supposedly give a really good quality to that. And that's, that was from John McKay. I was like, oh, that's very interesting. <laughs> a nice little tidbit. Uh, any, another question, my man? a internally um, ruling body to control us, how do we start that? 
what are the steps we need to take to start getting the coalition together to move forward? Thank you. Well, it's a good question. I mean, if you look at all the other industries, agricultural industries or other industries for that matter, it all started with some of the, the more progressive companies creating a consortium that either established an organizing body or uh, uh, hired a third party body uh, to do the either whether it was designed to do marketing or it's designed to do inspections or designed to do certifications or education which are all probably things that we need to do but i think one way to do it would have would be kind of similar to what the u.s hemp round table has done where individual companies come together and contribute 50 or 20 or 10 or five thousand dollars to be kind of a member of that organization and its sole effort was for lobbying. I think from a certification or a industry organization, we could do it, it could start that way with some of the most progressive companies and then, oh, I mean, allow anybody in it to wanted to contribute $500 or $10 or whatever to be a member of that kind of industry organization. And I think it's important that we act now uh, because the other thing is we're, we are, while there is not this industry, we are vulnerable to a single company or two or three companies trying to come in and control that. I can give the example of the CRT in Mexico, which certifies all tequila that comes out of Mexico. The CRT is owned by Cuervo. So they certify everybody else in the marketplace. We don't want to have that happen with this industry. Uh, the other thing is I would suggest that when we do have a certifying body that is from the industry, that we rotate people out on a term so that uh, people don't get, uh, if you give people power, it, it inevitably corrupts them. And so the best thing to do is to have a short term, three to five years, something like that, and rotate people in and out of the organization. So there's a... There's a few problems to trying to create these organizations. So first, all of these companies have their own self-interest right now. And, and, and there's some of us trying to work cooperatively because the, the greater goal still has not been achieved with complete legalization of these products and, and, and fair banking practices and everything that goes with this. Um, so there's the own self-interest that sometimes come at play. Um, there's the fact that you know, in, in a normal startup industry, nine out of 10 companies fail. So you could be forming an alliance with a group of, you know, that starts out at five or 10 or 15 and there could only be four left in a year. Um, and so there's some obstacles to us getting there. We've achieved it in a state uh, system as has Colorado and California, you know, we don't necessarily need the tracking that we need in cannabis, but we need a, a tracking system. And, and we've got the systems in place from all of these other industries. So if we can find some people who want to tie all of that together, the problem is we're all so busy trying to do or run our businesses that it's hard to like think, okay, now we got, you know, I'm already going to political events and talking to legislators and regulators and all those people that I have to talk to, like to take on yet another role, you know, it, it, you, you can only do so much, but it, I would like to see us get there. I think it's going to take a little bit of time. <laughs>